Let's turn together to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, you can find that in your service sheets. There's an insert. Uh, It's also on page 696 and 697 of the church Bibles. This is uh, the moment we've been waiting for, really, isn't it? Uh, Daniel uh, and the lion's den. Well, let's let's hear uh, this this very famous, very well-known passage from Daniel 6, uh, beginning in verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a, a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors, And the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, Did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, for the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions, As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, 
the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall have no end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. Well, there's a, an old Simpsons episode where, where Homer, the, the bumbling father, uh, buys a gun. And because he's Homer, he, he handles it in a completely irresponsible way until his wife Marge tells him that he has to get rid of the gun. And so he, he comes back and he, he tells her that, that he's gotten rid of it, but in fact he hasn't. And when she, she confronts him on, on this lie that he's told her, he says to her, Marge, I swear, I never thought you'd find out. You know, how much can we get away with? Like That's how, how, how many of us naturally approach life and the world, isn't it? It's, it's that, that Homer Simpson idea. How, how much can I get away with? How far can I go? It doesn't matter what, what rules I have to break. How high can I go? How far can I climb? That's, that's the kind of toxic situation that Daniel finds himself in here in chapter 6 this evening. He's a, a high flyer in the kingdom of Darius the Mede, and that has made him a target. We all know how it ends, as, as this is one of the, the most famous stories in all of the Old Testament. And it's one we've been waiting for, when, when Daniel finds himself in the lion's den. But there's three things for us to see this evening. We need to see, first, a conspiracy. Second, a choice. And third, we see salvation. So first, let's discover this conspiracy. For, for those of you keeping score, we're on our third king now, aren't we? But Daniel remains. That actually should strike us. It's, it should be obvious to us that, that Daniel's a picture of how uh, God's people abide and carry on, even while, while kingdoms rise and fall. Daniel's getting on in years now. He's probably between 70 and 80 years old. He's coming near the end of his life. And he's also coming near the end of, of Israel's exile, which the prophet Jeremiah said would last for 70 years. Now, in previous regimes, you'll remember that, that Daniel was often forgotten until desperately needed. But under Darius, he's, he's a, a person of real consequence. He's one of, of three high officials who Darius trusted more than anyone else. You get the sense from, from verse 2 that Darius set these three men over the kingdom because he knew that there were people 
uh, in his government who would try to take advantage of him. And that's why he had these three guys that he could trust running everything. It says, verse 2, so that the, the king might suffer no loss. And of these three men, Daniel is about to be made the prime minister. He'll be in charge of the entire kingdom. And for all appearances, it seems that, that Daniel was, was rising in the world. He was, he was climbing up to this position without even trying. He wasn't working at, at rising up the ladder. He wasn't scheming like these other men that we see this evening. But rather, he was simply being honest in his work. And he was being obedient in, in everything to, to God first and foremost. And in every matter, small or large, that was placed before him. He was, he was honest before his earthly king. That actually should tell us something about how each of us should be approaching our own work. That as God's people, we don't, we don't have to climb the highest. But we're called simply to be faithful in all the, the little things that, that our employer asks of us, and all for, for the glory of God. Daniel shows us that what, what happens when, when we do those little things consistently well that people will take notice. However, Daniel's rise was a problem for a certain group of people, wasn't it? These men who, who wished to run the kingdom of their, for their own selfish gain. These men that, that the king already didn't trust. People who, who wanted to see the king of this, this great nation, the, the Medes and Persians, subjected to them. They need to get Daniel out of the way. So what do they do? They start scrutinizing all of his work, don't they? They look at everything he's done, and, and surely no one can be uh, completely honest in all their dealings and in all of their, their representations to the king. There must be some flaw somewhere, something that Daniel has done. You know, they have the cynical view of the world, don't they? They assume that Daniel acts exactly like them, that he's only putting on a front for the king. This is an attitude that's not uncommon in our own day, is it, 2,600 years later? 2,600 years later, and, and very little's changed. So they go through all, all of Daniel's work, and they realize something. Verse 4, that, that Daniel has no faults, that they can find nothing in, in everything that they've scrutinized. There, there were you know, no, no parties that, 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 that he claimed were work events. There, there, was, there was nothing. So the only way they can, can get at him is, is to attack his faith. So they go to Darius, and they, they propose a special holiday for, for one month. Out of appreciation for the king, everyone is going to worship Darius only, the great king of the Medes and Persians. If anyone's found worshiping any other god, then they're going to get thrown to the lions. Now, who knows what Darius was thinking now? Maybe, uh, maybe it sounded like fun, you know, a kind of, of ancient Persian jubilee. Maybe he just didn't care. All this, this religious stuff was just rubbish anyway, wasn't it? This, these guys want this fine. If it gets them off my back, I'll sign it. Whatever he was thinking, he, he signed this law. A law which we're, we're, it's, it's underscored here several times that under the, the traditional ancient Near Eastern code of law couldn't be revoked. Verse 8 specifically says that, doesn't it? Can't be revoked. Nothing you can do. These men know exactly what Daniel will do, though, don't they? They know they've got him. And Daniel hears about this law being signed, and what's, what's the first thing he does? He does the same thing that he does every single day. He goes home, he kneels down at his window, and he prays. And these people knew that he would do that. 
because they knew his routine. And so they, they set him up. They go and they see him praying before his open window facing towards Jerusalem. And when they see him, they, they report it to the king with probably some glee, don't, isn't it, there? Now, I want to suggest to us that actually we, we face similar conspiracies in our own culture and in our own nation. And I don't want us to be paranoid, but I also don't want us to assume that simply freedom of religion protects us. There are things in our, our culture that strike at the very heart of our faith. We've all probably experienced these at, at some point. And I, I know I've used this example before, and I don't want to overuse it, but I think it's, it's actually poignant that we, we come to this passage this evening at the, the start of what, what the, the powerful in our world has, have declared to be LGBTQ plus month. A month when everyone is, is expected to celebrate a, a lifestyle or, or perhaps better understood uh, a religion, an identity that scripture specifically points to, particularly in Romans 1, as a, as a marker for how we can, can know when our, our culture has largely rejected the one true God. Most of you are going to feel some kind of pressure this month, whether you're, you're in a workplace or whether you're a student, to, to conform in some way, to, to make that little, uh, you know, that, 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 that little thing that, that shows that you're, you're on board with everyone else. You know, to wear a rainbow badge or to put a, a rainbow flag on your social media. What do we do when we're faced with, with a choice that these, these pressures bring us up against? How do, we, how do we live for God? How do we live for Christ? When these, these things become so, so clear and blatant in our lives and they can bring about some pain and some difficulty, at least some very awkward questions. It seems like such a small thing, doesn't it? It's just, a, it's just a flag. What do we do? Well, Daniel provides us with, with an example of how God's people are to live in a culture that's, that's trying to pressure us towards disobedience to God. Like us, Daniel faced a choice, and that's our second point tonight, the choice that Daniel faced. I think it's important that we, we notice a few things about, about this choice. First, notice the, the difference between the command of Darius and, and the previous command of Nebuchadnezzar to, to worship idols. You remember what Nebuchadnezzar did. Uh, back a few weeks ago, he, he built this golden statue uh, out in the desert and commanded that, that when the music played, everyone in the kingdom should bow down and worship the statue of gold. And this was an, an open-ended command, and it was a full-on command to open idolatry. It would seem clear and natural in that, that moment for God's people to, to take a stand, wouldn't it? To be disobedient to the command of the king in that case. And, and indeed, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we'll remember, did take a stand. And they refused to bow to the idol of gold. But that's, that's what's, why this command that, that Darius brings is, is so subtle and it's, and it's so insidious. Darius's command was not a command that you must worship him only that you weren't allowed to worship anything else. So you didn't have to worship him. You just couldn't worship anything else. And it was also time-restricted, wasn't it, to 30 days. Just one month, 30 days of, of not praying or two or worshiping God. You know, I almost hesitate to, to ask the question, how easy would it be for you to stop praying for 30 days? 
if it meant saving your life? How easy would it be for you to, to not worship your God for 30 days? Just to, to, to be left alone. Yeah, there were almost certainly many Jews in captivity along with Daniel who, who had no trouble being obedient to this law without bowing the knee in worship to the king. But the problem is that there are times when obedience to this world means uh, even if we're not physically bowing before an idol, we are bowing in our hearts to the pressure not to acknowledge our God and to simply live and let live. And that's almost as toxic. Now, the second thing we should notice is this time in Daniel's life when, when this, this temptation comes, when this choice comes up. Uh, we've said already that he's getting on in years. Well, Sinclair Ferguson points out that uh, in the case of Daniel and actually uh, many people throughout Scripture, that temptation works almost the opposite way that we think. We often think that the, the strongest and hardest temptations happen when we're, when we're young when we're new in our faith. But actually what we see the Lord doing in, this, in, in his people is, is slowly building them up and strengthening them against temptation. You know, with Daniel, it began back in chapter 1 when he uh, was, was tempted to, to give in to the dietary requirements of the kingdom that had taken him into captivity. And yet, yet he pushed back against that, something that seemed like, like a, a fairly small thing. But today we see a much bigger temptation, don't we? To lay aside his faith for, for just one month in order to live comfortably in his old age. It would have been very easy for Daniel to say, I'm, I'm just getting too old for this, Lord. Let's just, just, just one month, just a, a little break. See, temptations can increase over time. But in temptation, God has not abandoned his people. Rather, he's, he's strengthening them for the, the things that are to come. When I was in university ministry, I, I had a colleague who knew a student who was trying to, to train his body to withstand extreme cold. And he said he, he started off with him taking a cold bath for a few minutes, and he kept increasing the time that he was in this, this cold bath. And then he kept lowering the temperature by adding bags of ice. And, and over time, he got to the point where he could be in this, this ice bath for I think almost an hour. I asked my friend why this student was doing this. He said, I have no idea. I think he's just kind of dumb. And it is a dumb thing to do. Um, and it's a dumb example, but, but the point is that, that temptations start the same way. You know, we, it, it starts with what feels like a small thing, but by, by being obedient to God in the small thing, God's helping us to grow in our trust in him and our faith in him and in our resilience and resistance to sin and temptation in our lives. It's also a warning to us as we get older to recognize that temptations don't get easier and they don't get smaller, which is why as we grow older, we, we have to strengthen ourselves in, in the disciplines of God's grace, which is actually our third observation on this point. Daniel, Daniel was a strong believer and he was a great follower of God, not because he overcame temptation or because he took dramatic stands, but because he let the grace of God penetrate his life and inform his actions and his practice. What does it say that, that Daniel did? It said that he would, he would regularly pray to God three times a day, facing Jerusalem. Now, the things for us to, to understand here is that what we see in, in Daniel is not 
what we're required to do. It's, it's not prescriptive. Rather, it's descriptive of what godly character looks like. The godly character that can stand against the, the rulers of this world in public is, is forged actually on our knees in private. For Daniel, God uh, wasn't some ideal. He, he wasn't some inspirational figure that could, be, that could be interchanged with an idol of gold or, or even the king of the Medes. And he also wasn't a God who was far off. His God was the, the one true God who was present and active in his life and in his world. And he was able to deliver his people because he promised to do so. See, Daniel was, was praying to this God three times a day, not, not because he thought that that was some sort of magic that would work, but because he, he wanted to be near this God. And the reason why he, he faced Jerusalem was probably because it would have been a reminder to him of the, the promises that God had made for his people. That even this man while in exile, he still looked to the promises of God to be fulfilled. See, that's where Daniel was grounded, which is why he, he could ignore a silly and petty command to, to stop praying for 30 days to his God, the one true God, despite the potential consequences. Fourth and lastly on this point, let's, let's talk about what this means for us today. If if Daniel teaches us anything, it's that, that often the Christian life is a call to walk to the lion's den with only the Lord on our side. See, this is Daniel's Hebrews 11 moment. That, that moment where, where faith, the things that, that Daniel hoped for, had to become real. Where hope has, has to define life. Where the things we believe have to inform our actions. This is this is the place where we're called to get to as followers of Christ. It's a place that'll bring us pain. It's a place that will bring us some level of suffering in this life and in this country as in, in others and as in Daniel's time itself. Laws will be made that we cannot either actively or passively be obedient to. I've, I've talked before uh, about a letter that I signed a few months back regarding the, the possible conversion therapy law that the, the government was, was looking at, at potentially bringing. And, and uh, that, that law was specifically targeting Christian ministers for, for talking about uh, LGBT issues in such a way as to encourage people to, to turn from, from sin and be obedient to God's word. Which, let's be clear, that's, that's actually the job of every minister, isn't it? But the writers of this, this letter stated, and, and I signed my name to it, they, they stated that, that we would be willing to, to go to prison or, or face fines for disobedience to this law because we believed it was unjust and we believed it was against the law of God. And I'm not telling you that because to, to suggest I'm, I'm anything like, like Daniel, but I'm telling you that so that you understand where, where we are as a culture. We're a culture that that has largely rejected the truth of God and his, his revealed will and his, his word. And there's going to be consequences for that for God's people. That's something that, that Daniel has been screaming at us for the, the last now six weeks. That there's going to be consequences for God's people when they live in a, in a kingdom run by, by this world, by the secular world. But Daniel offers us a, a roadmap of how to live in such times 
And that's with quiet faithfulness. What does he do when he hears this law has been passed? He doesn't go up on the rooftops and and shout about how unjust this law was. And he doesn't go and, and confront these men who wrote it. Rather, he just continues to be faithful to God. He does what he'd been doing every single day for the last 70 to 80 years of his life. And that's a message for, for us. That you have every right to be faithful to God and to be disobedient to, to laws that are set up to try to get you to reject your faith and to follow after other gods. That it's okay to be obedient to the word of God in your actual everyday life. That you don't simply have to be obedient when you come here on a Sunday morning or evening. And to get to that point, you have to first grow in your confidence in Christ. And again, that happens often in here, in, in the private places. You have to grow that, you have to know that, that God is your help and your portion in this life and in the life to come for eternity. To get there, you have to look to this God even when you're, even when you're not under pressure. We have to find uh, a jo- an enjoyment and a pleasure in our great God, in His Word and in prayer. He has to be He has to be the delight of of our salvation. This is something that we hear throughout uh, throughout God's Word, isn't it? How God's people find their their delight in Him. It's actually the the first answer to the the Westminster Shorter Catechism, a, a, a doctrinal statement that we hold to. It asks this question: What is what is man's chief end? That is, what's what's the purpose? Uh, what's our purpose in life? What's the meaning of life? That's the first question in our catechism. The answer to that is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And we see Daniel doing both here, don't we? He's glorifying God and he's enjoying Him. He's drawing near to Him in prayer. And we hear David doing the same, don't we, in the Psalms, even as he's often crying out to God for help and salvation He's also expressing the the certainty and hope and joy and delight in being found in this great God. See, this is the starting place for for every believer to be found in God by seeking Him in His Word and in prayer and among His people in the church. Now, the third and final thing we we see tonight is that our God's a God of salvation. So the the law of of the Medes is, is irrevocable. And we once again see the, the weakness of an earthly king. But again, it's, it's in a different way this time than we've seen in the past. Where for Nebuchadnezzar, his weakness was in pronouncing his, his great power. You know, he, he's this powerful earthly king. And, and he pronounces judgment and he, he thinks that he's more powerful even than God. Darius, on the other hand, is a weak earthly king, isn't he? He wants to undo this thing he's done. He wants to find a way out. But this great king is powerless to stop his advisors from carrying out the sentence. Do you see see that? He worked all day to try and and undo this thing that he'd done. Have you ever done anything that you wish you could undo? That's that's Darius here. Our sin often creates messes that we we have to live with the consequences of. And that's that's Darius. He's, He's weak as an earthly king. And he's made a mess of things. And so Daniel's taken off to the lion's den and he's, and he's dropped in 
and they, they roll a stone over the entrance and they put a seal over it so that no one can, can break in and let Daniel out. And this is where you, we actually see a, a picture of Christ in this story, don't we? You remember that when Jesus was, was crucified, they, they took his body and they placed him in a tomb and they, they sealed his body there because the Jews and the Romans didn't want to want it stolen so that no one could claim that he was risen. And we all know how that ended, don't we? Now what happened to Daniel? Well, he's, he's sealed in the lion's den. He's as good as dead. And poor Darius, he, he has a bad night, doesn't he? He doesn't eat and celebrate. He, he fasts and he barely sleeps a wink. And then the next morning, he, for, for some reason, he goes to, the, to what should be Daniel's tomb. And he, he opens it up and he, he calls to Daniel. Daniel, are you in there? Has your God saved you? Can you imagine the surprise when he actually gets an answer? Daniel says, I'm, I'm here. Like God sent angels and shut the lion's mouths. And there's joy as he's lifted out and, and he's restored to his place in the kingdom. Imagine that. Imagine what that must have been like for Darius. Imagine what that must have been like for Daniel. You know, we, we always get these, these pictures of Daniel in these, these children's Bibles where he's just sort of relaxing with the lions. You've got to think there, was, there, there might have been some anxiety, wouldn't there? At the very least, you know, it's, it's dark down there. must have been a relief to, to know, okay, the, the time's up. I can, I can be brought out. There's celebration there. But you notice first there's, there's the somber side of salvation. Did you notice that? There's, there's judgment for those who had done this evil to Daniel. They're, they're brought down to the lion's den along with their, their wives and their, their children. And people will, will ask, why, why does the Bible talk about wives and children? But this is one of those where, where actually God's off the hook because, because this was the law of the Medes and Persians. This was, this was the secular people doing this. They bring their wives and their children. They're, they're all tossed to the same lines, the ones that had laid down before Daniel. But unlike Daniel, they're, they're dead before they even hit the ground. And then Darius writes these, these words to all the peoples of his kingdom, people, people throughout the world, people who, who spoke all these different languages. And he's, he's praising God and, and commanding people to tremble before him. He's commanding them to show proper respect to the God that Daniel follows because he sees that he's a serious God he's a proper God and he will endure forever and then Daniel prospered during the remainder of Darius's reign now the story should encourage us as, as followers of God it's a reminder that, that God has, has never been glorified in a lost world when his people have shrunk from obedience to him God has never been glorified when his people have shrunk from obedience to him. It's a call to boldness, isn't it? But more than that, it's a, it's a call to remember the character of the God who we serve. He's a God who will, who will never abandon his people. He's a God who has brought salvation to us like he brought salvation to Daniel by delivering his son from the grave. Christ Jesus, who was put there by by our own sin and by our own disobedience by the conspiracy of our hearts to rebel against God
That's what we see at, at the table before us this evening. That we serve a God who, who delivers his people from their sins and invites them to come into his presence, to enter his kingdom, and to be fed by his, his goodness and mercy. Just as, as Daniel looked out of his window towards Jerusalem to remember the promises of God, tonight we, we have a reminder before us of the promises of God paid for and sealed in the body and blood of Christ Jesus. So let us come before the table tonight with with both joy and, and with longing for the salvation that, that it shows us. Let us let us pray.